Everybody, welcome to the High Five Countdown Podcast. My name is DJ Sefo, and I am proud to announce that there are more High Five Countdown Podcast episodes than there are Bruno Mars Super Bowl halftime show performances. I know I'll get a lot of hate for that, but I think it's a good thing. If you're new to the High Five Countdown Podcast, every episode we count down a different top five, usually in a topic that is relevant in pop culture. My two co-hosts and I will all give our top fives, we'll debate, we'll discuss, and by the end of the podcast, we try to come up with a consensus top five. Now, before I get into this episode's top five topic, I want to first introduce my two co-hosts. My first co-host actually got kicked off of his debate team because he was too nice and polite when making arguments. <laughs> Matty G. Well, I'm a one-man What's up? That's not true. I don't know, Matty G. That's what I hear from some of uh, the old Stepanek folks. Starting rumors, though. Uh, Well, shout out to Neil, Mr. Miami, and uh, Mike Jalipsy. They're the ones that told me that. You're lying. My second co-host is always up to something because he's Jumpman, 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 Jumpman. What's going on, Tony B.? Not too much, Seth. Oh, and I heard that rumor, too. I read it somewhere on the internet. So you got kicked off the debate team. It was controversial, so, like, don't don't take it too harshly. I had no time to be on the debate team. I was too busy trying to play one instrument at the same time, let alone three. <laughs> so it sounds like the first story that you're, I'm hearing from Matty G is I, I quit. I had better things to do. They're saying, no, he wasn't focused. He's not good enough anyway. He, He's talking about all these different instruments and stuff like that. We need debaters. Ever since we did our top five songs of 2015, I have heard Jumpman about six times. And it's seriously like when you buy a new car and then you basically see that car everywhere. I feel that's the same thing with Jumpman. Now that I know about it, it's it's literally been attracted to me. Mm-hmm. I heard it in my car. I heard it at the mall. I heard it at a bar. And I heard it on a car that was driving past me on its radio. That's where I first heard the song. It's so, on someone else's radio. I'm going to just throw this out there. I think so many people listen to the podcast that they just were influenced by Tony, and that's why it just becomes such a huge hit. I, I do try to get some residuals from Drake and Future, because I think they co-wrote that song, Jumpman. I don't know how the lyrics were split. I don't know if it was a 50-50 split, or Drake wrote most of the lyrics, and Future just kind of came up with the Jumpman, Jumpman, Jumpman hook. We should get some of that money. I think it's a safe bet to say Future probably didn't write the majority of those lyrics. You're basically the, the corn to uh to drake's limp biscuit and that's the second limp biscuit reference we're gonna have dude this is amazing i am so pumped back-to-back limp biscuit references on back-to-back podcasts Yeah, basically. And for those of you who don't understand the reference, go back and listen to our episode number two, Top 5 Songs of 2015. You can find it on iTunes. Just search out High Five Countdown Podcast. You'll find our first two episodes, and now we start lucky number three. We are officially a hat trick. Yeah! Episode number three, we are breaking down the top Super Bowl 
halftime show performances. So, for those of you who listen, you know the drill. For those of you who haven't, my co-hosts and I will each list our top five Super Bowl halftime shows. We'll debate. We'll discuss. After we all give our lists, we'll tally up the results. We'll do some more debating. And hopefully, by the end of the show, come up with a consensus top five. But I wanted to start off the show a little bit different than usual. I wanted to start off by asking the two of you guys a trivia question. Then after we get the answer to that question, I wanted to give my opening thoughts, which I came up with right after we decided to do this topic. And then I'll obviously turn the floor over to you, Tony B, and you, Maddie G, to get your thoughts and reactions and everything that is good and wholesome. The trivia question is, what artists performed at more than one halftime show? Okay. I have like at least three in my head right now. There's a total of five. Okay. Maddie G, start us off, please. Okay, first one I'm thinking of is Beyonce. Yeah! That is correct. Tony B. Okay, the second one I'm thinking is Bruno Mars. Yeah! Correct. For number three, I'm going to go with Nelly. Yeah! That is correct. Okay. There's two more. Tony B. Justin Timberlake. Yeah! My gosh, you guys are on fire. I thought this would be harder. <laughs> well, actually, considering two of those artists performed in Super Bowls within the last four years, being Beyonce and Bruno Mars, those are pretty easy. But the last one, I think, will be a tough one. I'll be shocked if you guys get it. Uh, Slash? Um, no, I'm still trying to figure it out. (laughs) Can we get a clue? This is a tough artist to give a clue to. I, I don't even know what to say right, as a clue. All right, name a song. I don't know any songs. <laughs> oh my God. It's an artist that was big in the early 90s. Uh, and it's a female artist. Uh, it's not Janet Jackson, is it? It is not. Okay. Um, early 90s. Britney Spears? Uh, Mary J. Blige? Okay, I'm going to give it to you guys because I don't think you guys are going to get it. And this was the only artist that performed in three Super Bowl halftime shows. Gloria Estefan. Ugh. She performed in 92, 95, and 99. She's like the Peyton Manning of Super Bowl halftime performances, basically. I forget that gig. The gold standard. Seriously, she performed in more Super Bowl halftime shows than Peyton Manning had Super Bowl wins. Well, I mean, I guess I gotta get Gloria Stefan jersey next time I watch Super Bowl. What team would she be on? That's a good question. I'll have to do a little bit of research because I had no idea she was even in more than one show. <laughs> Dude, I have to do a little research. I couldn't even name a Gloria Estefan song. Oh, that I could do. Oh, um, what's the name of that song? Uh there's the one about, like, rhythm. So that, uh, <laughs> uh, oh, come on, Maddie. You put yourself on the spot right now. <laughs> I got to, like, sit here for, like, 25 minutes to think about it. So I'm not going to do that. <laughs> Seriously, you came on really confident, too. You're like, that I can do. I'm seeing it right now in my head. Um, I know all. I know turn, all turn the beat around. Turn the beat around. Now I remember she did that one, but I couldn't name one off the top of my head. So yeah, yeah, yeah. kudos to you. Okay. I know all, I know all the Gloria Estefan songs. Wait, wait, hold on, hold on, hold on. <laughs> Here's the reason I did that list. When we decided to do this topic, the first thing I did was I uploaded a list 
of all the Super Bowl halftime shows, I quickly draw the conclusion that this list of halftime shows is a timeline of the music industry. When you take a look at the majority of the halftime shows, they are artists who had a big year that year leading up to the Super Bowl. And every Super Bowl halftime show gave a snapshot of the music industry. Now, obviously, there's a little asterisk by this. Because, just like in any form of history, whenever there is a big historical moment, whether it's the Civil War, the Black Plague, there are ripples which cause things to break the mold and patterns to break for the several years following that event. Well, of course, there's one big halftime show that happened, which caused a lot of ripples, and I'm sure we'll talk about that halftime show one way or another. You said ripple, not... Okay, yeah. At least it's on the end. <laughs> I always think about it from terms of production because it was behind the scenes in television. The producers want to come up with a halftime show that is going to draw in people. And not football fans because they're already watching, but the other people who might not care whether Peyton Manning's playing Cam Newton, who are just there for the party and to see the halftime show. So that's why they have to bring in these big acts. And I'll conclude with this. When I go back to that trivia, and, and this is my general point, these truly are some of the biggest acts in music, and it truly is a timeline. Because when you take a look at all five of those names, and as much as we joke about Gloria Estefan, she was huge during the 90s, but the rest of them were all some of the biggest names in music. So I know that's a lot to chew on. Thank you for bearing with me on that. Uh, well, when I think about the Super Bowl halftime show, I think it gets a lot of hype just by association with the Super Bowl, because obviously in America, not most countries, but in America, it's like the TV event of the year. Like a regular Sunday night game can like dominate the ratings more than like some championship games for some other leagues. It's just like a fact. Um, so the Super Bowl is just enormous in America, and uh, the halftime show, a lot of times I feel like it doesn't live up to the hype because there's just so many people watching, and, and I feel like they, pick it, they nitpick it so like harshly that... There's not really much you can do to kind of live up to the hype of the Super Bowl. So I kind of, you know, I think it's a lot of times it's people kind of just take that time to just take a break anyway. They usually, like, get up off the couch, you know, go to the bathroom, get some more food. So it's kind of, like, in the background of Super Bowl parties a lot of times. Like, the one this year, I feel like I, I wasn't really watching it. I mean, I, I would look at the screen occasionally, but I wasn't there to, like, actually listen to the music and see, like, what was happening. I didn't know about any controversies until I got back on Facebook and found out about all the controversies that everyone was looking into. And, you know, so I, I think a lot of times it's kind of, like, more negative than positive. But it's just kind of people being spoiled when you think about it because it's like, oh, sorry, you got to deal with this 15-minute free show that's happening in the middle of this, like, awesome game that you're watching. Yeah. <laughs> so that's how I feel about it. So you're basically saying that the uh, Super Bowl halftime show might be more trouble than it's worth for music artists? A lot, I think a lot of times, actually, yeah. I mean, I think uh, sometimes it, it kind of backfires on them. Like in Black Eyed Peas, I think about with their show that was immediately like panned by everyone. And they were saying how, like, you know, even though they had Slash, they still butchered it. And, you know, it was kind of just pathetic and the choreography was bad. I feel like a lot of times people just kind of just rip it apart more than they say, oh, that was a good show. It is getting a little, you know, played out. It may be getting too much trouble for these artists, but I, I kind of like, you know, the halftime show. And I guess like most people, I just kind of have it on in the background. But when I watch it, I'm really watching more for like the, the visual effects because there's a good chance that the person that's performing 
I may not really care for their music, but I can care for how the production was done, what kind of special effects were used, the lighting, the fireworks, that kind of stuff I like. I can see in the future they're getting rid of the, the halftime show and replacing it with something else. What would you want them to replace it with? Some sort of maybe obstacle course, maybe, like <laughs> like Ninja Warrior. <laughs> I think people would like it. Why can't we get, like, celebrities to do that? Just have, like, you know, <laughs> like Justin Timberlake is going to race Bruno Mars in an obstacle course. Who would win that race? Bruno Mars, I, he's a great songwriter, but I feel like Justin just ripped, you know? <laughs> Oh, oh no, the Santa ladder is pretty tricky, you know. And you know, I mean, people actually gamble yeah. on, like, what's the first song going to be that Coldplay plays? And that's, like, something that you can't really or shouldn't really gamble on. I mean, I guess the people that are doing that don't really care about the odds, but there are people who know, like, what the first song is going to be. Like, if, like, Bruno Mars plays Justin Timberlake in, like, a, a race or something or a match, like, there's no actual way you could rig it. Well, I guess you could. Like, I mean, boxing was rigged, I guess, at some point. <laughs> but, but, I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like, at least it's more unpredictable than just, like, oh, yeah, they're going to do the same three songs that you, you expected. So maybe instead of Katy Perry, some sort of, like, I don't know, boxing match? Do, like, celebrity boxing. Have, like, Tanya Harding fight some other... Like, blast in the past. <laughs> but I want to see a knockout. I want to see blood. I want to see people hurt. You do that for 15 minutes, I'll be fine. For the uh, for the boxing, don't we get enough of that in the NFL? I mean, we had the Odell Beckham-Norman uh, fighting. Hell, we should just throw those guys in the ring during halftime. See, we're solving the NFL problem one podcast at a time. We get NFLers to go into the ring, field cage match, and whoever wins... Their team gets, I don't know, some, they get an extra seventh round pick. <laughs> but I like to see some fight. I like to see Peyton versus Eli. And I realized that Peyton was playing in the Super Bowl, so it would be hard to get him in the halftime show. But they could work something out. They could have had Brock in there for a couple of series. I think uh, that's basically what Celebrity Deathmatch was. Remember that show back in the Yeah, I was just like, yeah. They, and that, that actually happened during the halftime show. Like, it was like... MTV was kind of banking on people getting bored of the halftime show, and like it would be on for like 15 minutes in between like the, the halves. And I feel like that was basically like when that show got launched, if I'm not mistaken. There was a time when like you know Hanson or somebody was like fighting somebody else, some other group. It was like a three on three death match, and they had some other crazy matchups. I feel like that show might have started as a halftime show. I'm not sure though. Y'all ready for this? One, two, three, let's go. Here we go. Any other thoughts on the Super Bowl halftime show before we get to our top five? I just like fireworks. (laughs) The song by Katy Perry or the real thing? I like both. So you just want fireworks? I just want fireworks. Katy Perry fireworks, regular fireworks. Matty G, why don't we start off with your top five? Five. All right. At number five, I'm going to go with Paul McCartney in 2005. Paul McCartney, of course, is the lead singer of the Beatles, who are 50% still with us. I thought um, that Paul McCartney was a small-time artist that Kanye West made popular by featuring him on his song. Now I'm four, five from well, you know, a lot of people might not know that he actually was the lead singer of the Beatles, so i got to make sure I spell that out. 
Oh, I thought he was a struggling artist that Kanye helped. What was I thinking? Yes, he was. Uh, he was a little famous before Kanye, and he did a show in 2005 where he had uh, a couple of songs that are kind of legendary. Like "Live and Let Die," which of course is from the uh, eighth James Bond movie with Roger Moore. Uh, he did. Hey Jude, which is of course one of the Beatles classics. I'll put him as number five because he's he's a legend and he has that kind of legendary kind of persona. I'm kind of glad we still have him to to even see him live because he's kind of like that kind of class of like Michael Jackson where I kind of feel like uh, I wish I had time to actually see him live and just by the the merit of him being like part of the greatest group of all time in my opinion. Uh, and the show itself, I put it as number five. That's, that's pretty much the only reason why. <laughs> No, I, I like Paul McCartney. I'm a Beatles fan, too. I did have the fortune of being able to see Paul McCartney live in concert. He wasn't in the Beatles, but he was still singing some of the Beatles songs. It's really great to be able to see it. So if, you're, if you do have the chance to be able to go see Paul, I definitely recommend. So, so Kanye did help him out. He was able to do his own standalone concerts now. Nice. Good job, Kanye. Way to launch Paul's <laughs> mm-hmm. career. You can say that Kanye is kind of like, uh, you know, the corn to McCartney's Limp Bizkit. <laughs> yes, we have a running joke. I love it. Yeah! <laughs> Paul McCartney, I will say this. I don't know if you guys know, but his Super Bowl halftime show broke a record. Least amount of steps taken by a halftime performer. I remember watching this show, and I think it was the first show after Nipplegate. And I remember just watching it, and, and, you know, Paul McCartney's awesome. He's a music legend. But Paul McCartney, like, literally stood in a five-foot-by-five-foot box where, you know, he played the guitar and he played Live and Let Die and a few other songs. And then, before he played Hey Jude, he had to switch over to a piano. Now, normally, you know, the artist would walk across stage and go to that piano. Somehow, a piano got snuck out and put right by Paul McCartney without any of us knowing. And I'm literally like, where did that piano come from? Paul McCartney barely took a step during that show. If Fitbit was invented during that Super Bowl halftime show, I swear, Paul McCartney wouldn't have gotten his steps in for the day. I have seen Paul McCartney live. If you're looking to see dance in a lot of motion, the Paul McCartney concert is not for you. <laughs> the, the Paul McCartney experience does not have a lot of steps. There's not a lot of jumping. You won't find a lot of twirling. There may be a shuffle here and there, but he sits at the piano. Don't make it bad. He'll stand up and play the guitar, but there's not that much motion, and he doesn't have backup dancers either. But I want you guys to know that before you guys go to the concert, I want you guys going to Paul McCartney going, yeah, I love Hey Jude and Let It Be, but he barely moved. I warned you ahead of time. The man doesn't move. But he literally stood in the same spot. Even the Rolling Stones. And let me just say, there will be plenty of Rolling Stones Super Bowl halftime show performance jokes during this podcast. Even the Rolling Stones moved. Yeah, well, he's a Beatle, so he doesn't have to move. Like, that's why he's a Beatle. I was thinking that maybe, uh, you know, after the Janet Jackson thing, they were just hoping he wouldn't move, you know, you know, God forbid something happened to him, like a shirt or something, you know. Respect to Paul McCartney, but I don't think any of us want to see a wardrobe malfunction from him. I think they just wanted a safe show all around. Paul, you stand there, you sit down there at the piano, keep it simple. They wanted a safe, simple show. You sing your songs, you go home. 
from a production standpoint, I thought it was interesting because Paul McCartney was very statue-like. He didn't move, kind of like Drew Bledsoe in the pocket back in uh, Patriots and Cowboys days. The camera crew and producers literally had to do a lot of shots with movement, slow pans in, slow pans out. They were taking a lot of crowd shots because... They needed some type of visual because Paul McCartney wasn't moving. That being said, the performance was great. His Hey Jude performance was amazing. And I actually thought what they did with giving everyone the lights was really cool. I, I remember looking at that and saying that was awesome. But what I will say is that performance could have used Left Shark. I still don't understand why everyone is bagging on Left Shark. I watched it. He wasn't that off base. He's a shark for crying out loud. How come nobody's talking about right palm tree? Left beach ball. Left beach ball shoot up a hole, but nobody cares about him. Are you trying to tell me that um, Left Shark is suffering from some sort of uh, variation of Wookiee discrimination? First of all, people don't like sharks. Let's just throw that out there. Let's just put that on the table. He's already being discriminated because he's a shark. There are plenty of peaceful sharks out there, and Left Shark could have been a peaceful shark. But automatically, shark, oh, he's evil. So he must screw up. And then, lo and behold, oh, he's a clumsy shark. It fits that clumsy shark stereotype, and people ran with it. Meanwhile, the the palm tree that's bobbing left and right, nobody cares about how that palm tree was a little bit, a couple beats off. The beach ball that's jumping up and down, that's a person inside it, nobody cared about that. But meanwhile, everyone's analyzing what Left Shark does. How do you know Left Shark wasn't the one doing the dance moves right, and the Right Shark was the one that was over overzealous? You got me there. A lot of unnecessary hate goes on to Left Shark. The only reason I'm not responding to Left Shark is because, spoiler alert... We might be talking about him later. Cool. For number four, I'm going to go with another classic artist. I'm going to go with Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band from 2009. I think that Bruce Springsteen did a very good job of kind of keeping that phase of the Super Bowl halftime performance uh, exciting, where it was kind of like past the Janet Jackson thing. And, uh, they were doing a lot of very conservative acts like The Who, and they were doing uh, Paul McCartney, which I think obviously was awesome. Uh, there was a few like Tom Petty and some other ones where it kind of was, I think people started to complain. Well, they'll complain either way. But they were complaining about how it was getting kind of too old and too like kind of like classic rockish. But I think he did a great job of just just doing what he does and just putting on a great show and kind of uh, uh, making people kind of forget that it was kind of turning towards like the old <laughs> with the halftime show and it was just a good overall performance. And he, uh, I can see why he's, he's got like such a cult following. The Rolling Stones. Excuse me. <laughs> I forgot about the Rolling Stones. How <laughs> could you forget about the Rolling Stones? Do you remember the old He-Man cartoons? Uh, a little bit. The Rolling Stones looked like Skeletor from He-Man. <laughs> yeah, they, they do need to get wheeled out there. I say they're like White Walkers from like Game of Thrones. <laughs> Either that or zombies from The Walking Dead. <laughs> that's an insult to the zombies, man. That, that's, that's cold. The White Walkers usually are really, really cold. <laughs> well google white walkers and you'll see you'll see uh mick jagger <laughs> to jump on to what maddie g was saying bruce springsteen 
was the first real performance of that group of four or five following Janet Jackson, where the artist was actually relevant. Bruce had just come out with a new CD that was pretty well received by commercial audience as well as critics. I'll talk more about the halftime show because, spoiler alert, we might be mentioning that later. It didn't, I I will say it wasn't in my top five. I was going to throw it out there as an honorable mention. I just liked how he introduced the halftime show. It was a lot of energy. He just commands the audience's attention in the first 30 seconds. Ladies and gentlemen, for the next 12 minutes, we're going to bring the righteous and mighty power of the E Street Band into your beautiful home. But anytime the introduction to the band can get the audience to move, um, which is what Bruce did. It was the first time I've ever seen a Super Bowl performer demand things of the audience and the people at home. Just demanding things. He said, I don't care what you're doing right now, but I need you to put down the fork. <laughs> put down the guacamole. Just the, just the way he was talking. Just, I was like, okay, whatever you want, Bruce. Fork down. Put down the guacamole. <laughs> Done. It's down. Get your fingers off the chicken fingers. Uh, cool. Done. I don't even have chicken fingers at this party. <laughs> yes. Dude, I said the same thing. Are you ready to get righteous? I was like, hell yeah. I don't even know any of your songs. I'm ready to go. Put down the fork. Turn up the television. Do you want it to 37 or to 4? All the way up. Okay, okay. I'm turning the television all the way up. Would it have gotten Paul McCartney to move? Yeah, Paul McCartney's not getting up to change the television. He'd hire someone. I'm turning the television well, you know, Bruce is now telling me to turn up the telly. Will somebody turn up the telly? I want you to step back from the guacamole dip. I don't have any guacamole. <laughs> I just think that Bruce Springsteen just wanted to end obesity in the United States. It's been an ongoing problem, and in 2009, Bruce said stop. I want you to put the chicken fingers down. Drop the guacamole dip. Put down the chicken fingers. You're fat. And get righteous. We're going to bring the righteous. Before there was the Michelle Obama campaign. There was Bruce. Mm-hmm. I think that Bruce was a little bit assuming, though. Because if you remember in that intro, because I had listened to it, and it, it, it jumped right out at me. Into your beautiful home. What if some people's homes where they were watching the Super Bowl were less than beautiful? Well, it's a state of mind. As long as you're getting righteous with Bruce, it doesn't really matter. We're going to bring the righteous. Number three, I this is where like it's it's a little tricky. Uh, I'm gonna go number three. I'm gonna go YouTube's performance. Uh, so I know some people might have that higher. 80% of the reason why it should be even higher is because of the message behind it and because of the 9-11 uh, implications. I don't love the song Beautiful Day. The performance was very memorable, I, you know, absolutely. It was easily top three for me. I didn't want to make that higher just because of the message. It, obviously, the message is huge, and like I wanted that to be a part of my list, but uh, there are Super Bowl halftime shows like on a pure entertainment level that I enjoyed higher. So that's the only reason why I had to stick that at number three, because I knew it was top three, but 
there are two other shows that I actually just enjoyed more. And this was more not about obviously enjoyment; it was more about you know remembrance. And uh, and it's very it was very important. I feel like you know for like you know you see to make that statement. I put it at number three just because I, I think it needed to be on there. I just love two shows for pure entertainment reasons uh, above that. That it's a solid pick. It may make an appearance in mine. You'll probably hear me say this before again, but I'm not the biggest U2 fan. Seth definitely knows this. I don't get the the YouTube phenomenon, but like th- for the symbolism behind it, it's a it was a really you know memorable halftime show. I think a lot of people remember that specific halftime show. I don't think it was a function of just the events that have happened. They just had some Joe Schmo playing the ukulele with people remember. No, it was a great performance. The way it was done was really timely and really emotional. So it's definitely worthy of top three consideration. I think that U2 is an awesome, awesome band. So I got to disagree with both of you guys. They might be one of my favorite bands of all time. I think Bono has a unique voice and a voice that commands attention. That's one way to put it. (laughs) To go on the halftime show, it's definitely a memorable halftime show. A lot of people won't remember that... This wasn't the same reason that the Rolling Stones or Paul McCartney got picked. The people weren't just picking a rock legend who they thought deserved to perform in the halftime show during their prime. U2 actually came off a huge year. They had Beautiful Day, which was a number one song. That album, All You Can't Leave Behind, was such a big album during that time and was almost the album representing the time of recovery after September 11th. I just remember the halftime show starting with a great montage and remix of all the U2 songs and videos, which really just grabbed my attention. They do a great rendition of Beautiful Day, Matty G. I know you don't like the song, but I do, and I think it's a great song. But obviously the most powerful moment, the thing that everyone remembers, is when they drop the big screen down and all the names of the September 11th victims scrolled through and... Bono and U2 perform The Streets Have No Name. And then, of course, there's the point where Bono does that full lap around the stage. Bono might beat both Justin Timberlake and Bruno Mars in that foot race, because he was pretty damn fast. He's got him on the short speed. Like I think he'll get him on the 40 dash. In terms of like a shuttle cone or something where the agility's tested, I don't know if the how the ankles are going to support, how the ankles are going to hold up. Uh, number two for me is going to be Michael Jackson. Michael Jackson, 1993. I think a lot of people consider that like the gold standard of the halftime show. It's a legendary performance. Uh, it starts really weird. I actually had to rewatch it. It starts off with two Michael Jackson like imposters like flying out of like the big screens uh, in I guess the old Cowboy Stadium, and then he just stands there. He like pops up from the stage, he just stands there for like three minutes like a statue. I guess that was the thing to do like on on, uh, on shows, and everyone's just like flipping out because like he's just there, and he's, he's, he's like I know he's doing it on purpose. Like he just stands there doing nothing and like just getting people to just flip out the fact that like they're just waiting for him to do something i mean michael jackson's obviously a legend he's like probably the greatest like single performer pound for pound i would say in like the history of american music i mean who knows what they had back in the day <laughs> like i wasn't there but like I, for all we know he's like the greatest performer ever he just did his thing he did billy jean uh he slowed it down with we are the world uh, all the people pulled up the posters it was like a really epic show and 
I can see why it's like kind of seen by a lot of people as like number one overall. Um, for me, I put it at number two just because like a personal experience with one of the shows that I really, really just enjoyed that I'm going to put number one. But I think objectively, I think it probably is the best actual performance and he's objectively probably the best performer that we've, we've seen. Was it White Michael or Black Michael? It was Moonwalker for Second Genesis Michael Jackson. It was like that, like, you know, I'm still in my peak, but I'm not my original color. <laughs> and which is a great game, by the way. I'm sure people who are familiar with that game know what I'm talking about. It was a weird game, but it was really cool. There's actually a video game of Michael Jackson. It's like an action game. You got to go around, you moonwalk, and like it's like a special move. You knock people out and stuff. I remember that game very little. I, I do remember it though, but I don't have like outstanding memories with it because I, I might have seen someone else play it. I never played it. Oh, I've definitely downloaded it uh, illegally with an emulator, like five, ten years ago, and played the whole thing, and it was awesome. Great. Now the cops are going to come and arrest my co-host, because he's doing <laughs> two illegal things on the podcast. That that wasn't true, what I just said. I, I bought a, an actual copy, and I played it on my Sega Genesis. I'm going to have to do some editing. I'm a big Michael Jackson fan, too, so I don't want to talk too much about it, because I'll probably end up making the same points a little bit later. So I grew up really idolizing Michael Jackson. He was a great, one of the best performers of all time. His moonwalk, he, he, the way he commanded an audience, Matty G picked up on it. He, he's standing still and people are going crazy. The only thing I would say is he has a great catalog of songs. He's a great performer. That was not the greatest Michael Jackson performance. Are you talking song choices or just performance? I'm talking about now. Billie Jean is my one of my favorite songs ever. It's my favorite Michael song. So I don't have so much a problem with the choice, but the performance itself. He gave better performances at that time period than what he gave at the Super Bowl. But it, it was a good performance, but not the best Michael Jackson performance that he's given. So I, it's hard for me to, to put it too high. I was actually insulted by the Michael Jackson performance. At least Bruce Springsteen gets up on stage and he lets you know what's going to happen. He tells you what to do. Michael Jackson got up on stage and literally wasted a minute, two minutes, three minutes of my life doing nothing. At that time, I could have gotten my guacamole dip. I could have gotten my chicken fingers and started eating. But here I'm waiting for Michael Jackson to do some amazing stuff because that's what Michael Jackson does. And he literally made me wait for it. That minute of my life was not important to him. Yeah, you can wait that minute for me to start doing my thing that's a minute of my life i will never get back would you have liked if he told you ahead of time by the way i'm gonna stand here for a minute here's a clock that here's a countdown at the bottom of the screen tells you when i'm gonna start moving again i would have liked so, him to say i'm gonna stand here for a minute so get your guacamole dip get your chicken fingers and then come back and watch the righteous michael jackson perform the super bowl halftime show in a minute and 10 seconds well, I mean, nowadays, you know what happened? I mean, they would probably have, like, a live feed of, like, tweets, like, hashtag Super Bowl on the bottom of the screen, and there would be people complaining, like, when is he going to do something? Oh, my goodness, I can't do anything. And I'm like, you know, people would just say Michael Jackson was the worst performer of all time. <laughs> Although, then, then there would be a bunch of other people saying, I like Michael Jackson taking a stand for something. <laughs> hashtag Super Bowl. <laughs> Thriller. I thought Paul McCartney was immovable. Michael Jackson is immovable. Well, he had to move eventually because then he would have been there for the Paul McCartney concert. So. <laughs> <laughs> and the only other thing I will say is what that performance could have used is Left Shark. He could have used some shark. Yeah, this is 2015. 
shark appreciation has is, is improved a lot of it, but back in the 90s, there was a lot of hatred for sharks, more so than today. And people hate sharks now. So are you saying that uh, sharks are unjustly represented? I think so. What about the beach ball and the towel and the, the palm tree and the seagull? Nobody cares about left seagull. But people lose their mind over left shark. I didn't know about left shark until after the show. I just thought he was a shark. I was like, oh, cool, a shark's dancing. Oh, cool, there's a palm tree. Oh, cool, Katy Perry's on a star floating away. After the show, I was like, did you see how bad left shark messed up? Oh, left shark set sharks back. 15 years with that halftime performance. I'm actually going to go, number one is going to be 2001 with NSYNC, Aerosmith, and a few other people. Basically what happens is this. It starts off with NSYNC. At the time, I had enough NSYNC. I mean, I was like in high school and I was like, all right, enough's enough. But, you know, I'm watching the, the halftime show. I'm watching the Super Bowl and everything. I see them do Bye Bye Bye, which is like was everywhere at the time. Uh, then all of a sudden, Aerosmith comes out and does uh, the song from Armageddon. And Aerosmith, I think, is like kind of, in a way, underrated. I think they're kind of rock legends more than people kind of recognize by now because they've been around for like, like 30, 40 years. And it's not even like they, they just like, oh, yeah, they were big in the 70s and they managed to stick together. It's like, no, they've had like hits in like every decade. I mean, they come out, Steven Towers and Man is one of the best singers of all time in terms of rock and roll. And then, you know, they go back to Instinct and do uh, It's Gonna Be Me. Uh, that's, that's probably actually having a better song than Bye, Bye, but whatever. Uh, and then all of a sudden, they go back into Jada, which is probably, like, I think my least favorite part of the whole show. They go with Walk This Way, Britney Spears comes out in her prime, like, when she's, like, Britney Spears, like, the, the pop, like, queen. Then Mary J. Blige comes out, representing Yonkers. Then we have Nelly come out and do, like, the Run DMC part of, like, the Walk This Way, like, basically, like, doing, like, the hip-hop role of it. I think it was just, like, the perfect amount of, like, variety and over-the-top. And I just remember being like a kid, maybe like 15 or something, watching this. And I was just so, like, pumped up by it and so inspired. Actually, I, I was like, man, I just want to be on stage. I want to be doing stuff like this. And it kind of like, actually inspired me like as like, a, as, like, a young teenager to be like, I want to play more music. I like playing at number one because it has more personal meaning to me than than some of the other shows, which are maybe better in other people's eyes. Because of the Aerosmith and Sync show, we have Matty G, the musician. <laughs> Thanks, Steven. It's gonna be that! Actually, that's two, that's two Yonkers people in that show. That's, uh, that's Mary J. Blige and that's Steven Tyler. Yonkers? I didn't know people came from Yonkers. <laughs> yeah, Lady Gaga and uh, DMX as well. I don't know if I'd brag about DMX, but there's some other star power. I mean, if you're not going to brag about DMX, you're going to make me lose my mind up in here. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> if it was just NSYNC, I could have lived with that. If it was the Aerosmith, I could have gone with that. Going back and forth kind of threw me off a little bit. And I agree with you. I think I'm going to be a better song than Bye Bye Bye. But in the end, when they're doing the, the walk this way, it was like, who didn't they have up there? Left shot. Left Shark, I was Left just about to say that. Damn it, Matty G, you beat me to it, B. I was taking a sip of my beer. The only reason I don't, I don't drink anything during the podcast is because I want to make sure I can jump in and say Left Shark before everyone else. Damn it! No, so if Left Shark was in the Super Bowl, that halftime show, I'd definitely rank it a lot higher. I gotta disagree on a lot of things. 
Number one, Bye 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 is a much better song than It's Gonna Be Me. I don't know what you guys are thinking right now, but Bye 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 was great. I mean, they had the whole dance and everything. Yeah, I had to learn the Bye 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 dance during one of my leadership camps, and people tell me I was a regular J.C. Chazé. <laughs> they wouldn't give me Justin Timberlake, so I had to be J.C. DJ Seth O. Chazé? I think that the mix of the performers in that show did not feel forced whatsoever. When Britney and Mary and Nelly came out, I thought they all fit pretty well. Like, Nelly did the rap. And actually, Matty G, Nelly didn't rap Walk This Way. He actually did EI. And he did EI to the beat of Walk This Way, which I thought was pretty cool. I, I, I forgot a detail, but now that you say it, actually, yeah, I remember that. <laughs> but a great pick. I definitely respect it and definitely could see why it's number one. The only other thing that I will say is that this halftime show might be one of the biggest headlining shows as far as star power when you really break it down. Aerosmith was coming off a huge year. They had two big hits with Jaded and Don't Want to Miss a Thing. Sync was one of the biggest things in pop music. Britney Spears was really hitting her stride. Nelly had just gotten big with Country Grammar. And then obviously Mary J. Blige had a big year because I think that was around the year where she started making her comeback. All right, my top five. Five. My number five might be some halftime performance that we alluded to previously in this podcast. It might include right and left things, and it might be the big debut of Super Bowl halftime show MVP, Left Shark. We have 2015 show Katy Perry. big Katy Perry fan. I think she has a lot of great music. She's got a great voice. The halftime show is just visually so entertaining. First, she rides out in this huge lion, which looks like it's from Voltron, or it's a Transformer, or it could be the next bad monster in a damn Godzilla movie. I thought that was pretty cool. Then she performs I Kissed a Girl with Lenny Kravitz, and man can he wail on a guitar. And then there's the beach scene, the scene where we all fell in love with Left Shark. Tony, the reason that I feel Left Shark deserved the attention is number one, there is a moment where Left Shark just grinds up on Katy Perry. And I love it. Like, Ray Shark's doing his choreographed dance, but Left Shark, he just comes in for the kill. It literally is like a Jaws movie. And Left Shark just grinds up against her. Again, you weren't the choreographer. How do you know they weren't both supposed to be grinding on Katie? And he's like, screw it. I'm going to do my own dance number. I'm going to show off my own dance skills. Check me out. I'm right Shark. And Left Shark's the only one who does his cue. How can they both grind up on Katy Perry at the same time? I'm not the choreographer, man. That's somebody else's job to figure that out. Then, Left Shark also runs across the stage when Katy Perry and her backup dancers are doing their key dance number. And he just literally books it across the stage. It was so random. Yeah, again, that could have been a social message about sharks. Shark lives matter? Shark lives matter. You know, sharks need to be free. They're running away from hunters. There's a lot of social commentary in that. Um, I'm just re-watching it right now as you're talking about it. And I enjoy Left Shark. I, uh, you know, I'm a fan. And uh, 
I feel like this this whole thing was meant to be like something that could be made into a meme. Like it was just just so random. The whole thing. I feel like they almost were like, let's just give everybody what they want and just like enough to to post on Facebook and then like make it to memes and stuff. Then after the beach scene, there was actually two minutes of nothing. I I honestly like nothing really was going on. I don't know why they took a two minute break. Oh wait, oh, I'm so. so what? I'm sorry, that was the Missy Elliott set. <laughs> yeah, nothing happened. So, Seth, you're telling me that it wasn't worth it and that Missy definitely should not have worked it? Not at all. And she makes me not want to get my freak on. I can I, I see why you had a very dear attachment to Left Shark now. Which kind of goes back to what we, we need to replace the halftime show. Why not all the mascots do some sort of concert? Led by Left Shark, obviously. Well, who else would you get to lead it? Who's a bigger mascot than Left Shark? Limp Bizkit? He needs to be on the halftime show. <laughs> you know, I'm going to have Fred Durst. Yeah! With, you know, just a bunch of, like, obscure people from the 90s. I'm going to have the guy from Puddle Mud. I'm going to have... Stained! I'm going to have Stained. What was the band that did My Immortal? Evanescence. Evanescence, yeah. Evanescence, yeah. Evanescence featured Fred Durst. Fred Durst wouldn't get title bill on that? He would lose out to Evanescence? I feel like Fred Durst has more star power. Yeah! You might be on something there. Start with Nookie and then, uh... You gotta have Roland. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They can end with Roland. And then, of course, you can have George Michael come out and do a collaboration of Faith. Oh, my gosh. This halftime show writes itself. And bam, like you got the best show ever. I, I feel like we've gotten a little off track. Yes. I thought this podcast episode was like the top five reasons why Left Shark was like the best mascot. Or like top five animals or anthropomorphic animals that had a better Super Bowl than Cam Newton. <laughs> For the next two minutes, drop the guacamole dip, put down the chicken fingers, and listen to my arguments of Bruce Springsteen, the 2009 halftime show, being the number four on my top five. Ladies and gentlemen, for the next 12 minutes, we're going to bring the righteous and mighty power of the E Street Band into your beautiful home. Bruce legitimately looked like he was having fun performing that show. And when you see the joy on his face, probably thinking that, you know, Bruce, along with Paul McCartney and the Rolling Stones a good 30 years ago, they should have had their own halftime shows in their prime. Thankfully, Bruce was the one guy who was still relevant, you know, still coming off a big year. So he was enjoying it. And of course, who could forget the stage slide? where he slid right into the camera guy. And you could even tell, I think he either knocked the camera guy over or messed up something, because you could tell by his facial expression after the slide that he was like, oh, my bad, dude, I'm sorry. I, I think it was, it was kind of like the teabag heard around the world. <laughs> he teabagged the camera guy. Well, you already know I'm down for the introduction. Super Bowl something something. Step back from the guacamole dip. And the guacamole. And turn your television all the way up. Turn the television all the way up. <laughs> and get ready for my day. We're going to bring the righteous. I'm going to go, okay, I don't even like the music, but I, I love the confidence. I'm in. Th that was Jumpman. Jumpman before Jumpman. My number three halftime show is one that might have inspired a little bit of controversy. 
we have Janet Jackson, Justin Timberlake, and a whole bunch of other hit makers at number three. The first thing I'll say about the halftime show is actually it's a great halftime show because every artist performs their biggest hits. And that's sometimes something that people miss. Like, we make reference to this year's halftime show. Beyonce took it as an opportunity to debut a new song. And that's fine, and it's great for her marketing. But the audience doesn't care. They want to hear the hits. Everybody in that halftime show, the Janet Jackson, Justin Timberlake halftime show, did all of their hits. I think that's hugely important. You had Janet perform All For You. You had Diddy perform Bad Boy For Life. Then you had Nelly perform Hot In Here. And then Diddy and Nelly perform More 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 problems which is great and then of course kid rock comes out many people forget kid rock actually did that halftime show as well and he performs bawa to bond cowboy and then of course you get justin timberlake with janet jackson doing the female part performing rock your body great halftime show even without the controversy if the controversy had not happened that was a great halftime show it had enough performers that I think there was a little something for everybody. The Super Bowl halftime shows are only 12 minutes long. It's hard enough if you're just one person doing 12 minutes of material when you have whole songs to do. You only get like three or four songs. And to have to split that time with a whole bunch of people, you get a whole bunch of perspectives, but it, it'd be nice if it, if it was a half-hour halftime show. Then I think it would have been a fantastic concert. But to have all that jam-packed in the 12 minutes... It was too much. It's too much of a good thing. So I, I generally don't like the shows where, they, where there's more than one guest. Halftime shows now, even if you look at this past year's where it was only three performers, or even take a look at something like the Bruno Mars halftime show, which is a single performer, he wasn't doing whole songs. He was literally doing a verse and a chorus as well, so he could get more songs in. So just because you're crowding in more artists, I don't think you're necessarily getting in whole songs. You too, Bruce, was one of the only artists in a halftime show that performed a whole song. And the only reason they did that was because there was a whole thing with scrolling down all the names of the September 11th tragedies. Most artists are not doing whole songs. Oh, I know that. Even for Paul McCartney, Hey Jude was cut down in half. Um, and so I get the fact that they're going to cut a bunch of songs so they can have more songs in it. When you add more people on top of that, for me, my attention was, is going all over the place. And I guess, you know, we're, we're coming from different spots. I like having a bunch of different artists because it unites everybody. The Kid Rock fans like Kid Rock, but they don't like P. Diddy. The P. Diddy fans don't like Justin Timberlake. So the fact that everyone can bond over a halftime show and everyone can get their fill, I think, is, is pretty cool. But are you really getting your fill with 30 seconds? Or are you really going, okay, that was a good 30 seconds, my guy deserved more? I, I can remember the parties that I was at when those halftime shows were happening that everyone was pretty pumped after it. I mean, it can go either way. I mean, there's, there's ones like Bruce Springsteen where they didn't need to bring anybody else on. And there's ones like uh, the Aerosmith one where it was like an awesome blend of all sorts of different styles. And I, I think it's just like how they choose to present it. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. I guess there's no real kind of... Uh, formula you can you can you can follow because a lot of times people hate it a lot of times people love it but both cases have worked in some ways in other ways they've been like a total flop well i'm watching the video right now and i'm reading the first comment it said i quote wow i feel so bad for her i'm sure justin wasn't trying to rip it off like that they probably had something planned like to rip it off but still have some layer over her but this is sad i feel so bad for her and i, I think to myself how is that not intentional that's just silly. 
And that, that's that, that's all I remember from the Super Bowl halftime show is that that one garment being ripped off because that changed the Super Bowl for like five or six years after that. Before that, you sort of last like five years up until that point. It was like you know the InSync one, then you had uh, there was a few like modern acts, and then all of a sudden you know Janet Jackson has an incident, and which is totally intentional. I mean, like how do you accidentally have a piece of your of your dress or or you know costume, whatever you call it, so easy to rip off, but just so obviously part of the act they wanted to get that kind. A scandal, and if you remember at the time, like that was a time when Madonna and Britney Spears had a kiss at like one of the VMA performances, and that was like a huge deal. It was like a big story. I feel like they were trying to go into that, like it's like a, it's a halftime show, Super Bowl, it's like an even bigger audience than the VMAs. We're gonna do something really controversial and like cause like a lot of frenzy. And I feel like it totally like backfired. Where like the Britney Spears thing and the Madonna thing was like considered like, this really cool, like hot moment, and like you know uh, everyone was talking about it. This one was like, oh my goodness, like. Think of the children, like Maud Flanders from The Simpsons. But uh, I think it would just, it kind of changed things, because uh, the Super Bowl people were probably like, after that, like, we don't want to deal with this controversy, so they went really conservative, they went they went with The Who, they went with Rolling Stones, and all these older acts, because they didn't want to deal with like these younger people, and they're, you know, possibly controversial ways, and it took a while for them to kind of warm up to the idea again, and now, here we are with, uh, you know, the newer acts coming back up. And I think it was interesting because one of the things that I remember was, you know, MTV had done their run of halftime shows and they did the uh, NSYNC Aerosmith one and and everyone loved it. It was celebrated. It was a great halftime show. And then they did this one. And a lot of people don't remember. It was really after this one that MTV started to really take a sway away from music. And yes, I get that the halftime show probably wasn't the end-all be-all that caused MTV to make this movie move i wouldn't be shocked if it wasn't a factor and the other interesting thing is janet's career has never been the same janet never recovered from that incident and many people thought that both janet jackson and justin timberlake were done and justin timberlake is as big as ever but janet never recovered i'm glad that justin timberlake wasn't defined by Boobgate. you know that it's almost like a, a little footnote in his career number two aerosmith and insane And I won't spend too much time on it because we obviously did talk a lot about it. The only thing that I will say is what many people forget about that halftime show is before InSync and Aerosmith even came out, and I remember this because I, this was one of them I rewatched before the podcast, there's an opening sketch that features Ben Stiller, Adam Sandler, and Chris Rock. It's this little pre-recorded sketch that happened, and Ben Stiller poses as a Super Bowl halftime coordinator, and he's basically talking to Aerosmith and InSync back in the locker room. There's a great line where he's like I want you to sing like you've never sang before and he goes up to Steven Tyler and he says I want to be able to fit my fist in the collective mouths of the band and I thought that was hilarious and then Adam Sandler poses as an urban choreographer and was talking in sync about how they need to be turning into more of the sound of the streets which I think is interesting because it was shortly after that that NSYNC really went urban uh, with Girlfriend Remix and a bunch of other songs. And then, uh, of course, Chris Rock just poses as a random black guy who basically says, There needs to be more hip-hop in this show. Yeah! like a lady! Man, this is way too white for me. We gotta get some hip-hop up in here. How about some DMX, some Jay-Z? Everyone forgets about it, though. Yeah, I, I don't remember that much. I, I, I remember a lot of that show, but not that. Number one is U2 in the 2002 halftime show performance. Oh, sweet, 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 sweet. 
was important in the time was September 11th, and as a U2 fan, they really hit it out of the park. I mean, you can't really argue with that. Uh, I, I tried to find a slot for it, but I knew it was going to be top three, and I kind of assumed it was going to be at least somebody else's number one. Five. All right, so my number five Super Bowl halftime show. We haven't talked about it yet, but it's the Prince halftime show. The same Super Bowl that Peyton Manning won, and it was pouring rain, if you'll remember that Super Bowl. I thought they would maybe cancel the halftime show because it was literally a monsoon coming down. <laughs> and I thought with all the electronics and stuff like that, this, this is definitely not safe. But not only did they have a concert, but there were pyrotechnics, there was fire, there was fireworks. In and of itself, it was an okay performance, but the fact that he had to do it in the rain, like, this is just totally normal, like, I, I'm happy to be here as I'm in the middle of a hurricane. I, I think, again, none of the other performers had to deal with that. I have to put it in the top five. You know who could have dealt with a rainy Super Bowl performance? Well, left shark, obviously, because it's his <laughs> element. He would have wanted more rain so he could feel more at home. <laughs> I'd say that Katy Perry's dealing with the left shark was almost as impressive as Prince dealing with the rain. <laughs> <laughs> well, then there could have been left umbrella to keep them all dry. <laughs> left umbrella's bouncing around like nothing's bothering him. Nobody cares about that. <laughs> Prince could have used left umbrella. <laughs> <laughs> left and right umbrella. Center canopy could have been used, but no, no. All the focus is on left shark. That's what I, I thought they were going to give this guy some sort of canopy. Like, they're going to give him maybe an umbrella or something. Like, no, Prince, you get out there. It's not raining that hard. Even remember, it was a monsoon. And for him to do purple rain in the rain, I thought was really magical. The only thing that would have been better is if instead of Prince, it was Millie Vanilli and they performed Blame It on the Rain. <laughs> they could have done uh, Creedence Clearwater Revival. Have you ever seen the rain? They could have done a lot of rain-focused songs. I like to throw in um, Singing in the Rain. I want to throw in uh, Hilary Duff, uh, Let the Rain Fall Down. <laughs> and I'd also like to throw in Ashanti, Rain on Me. I was going to say, nobody's going to throw in Fat Joe. I uh, of course, rain. I make it rain. Make it rain's a great song, actually. Yeah, it's been too long since Fat Joe's been in a Super Bowl halftime show. As long as it's been since Limp Bizkit's been in a halftime show. Sorry, I'm just trying to get as many Limp Bizkit references in as I can. Well, nobody else is talking about Limp Bizkit, so it's good that we're doing it. We're keeping the memory alive. We should get Fred Durst to be on this podcast one day. Yeah, well, he, he may not want to be on it after that. <laughs> I think he would welcome the opportunity to be on our podcast. Yeah! He was, like, one of my, like, like music idols when I was, like, 13. Like, I was, like, I thought he was the coolest guy. I was like, oh, man, this guy... He, like, rocks out so hard. I used to wear a red hat and everything. <laughs> <laughs> he, did, he did make the red hat popular. Cool. Number four is going back to a childhood hero of mine, Michael Jackson. He starts off the concert pretty cool. Like Matty G says, he waits there for a good minute, soaks it all in. He does my favorite song, Billie Jean. I wish he did beat it. Um, there's a couple of other songs that he could have he done Remember the Time. 
But the message that he had was really positive. We are the world. Um, I think he also played Heal the World. Um, so a lot of positive songs. And this is right when he was still in his prime. He was still sort of, he was still taken seriously, very seriously, musically. And as a Michael Jackson fan growing up, it was really cool watching that halftime show. I'm looking back now and watching it, I can see why it's like considered one of the best Super Bowl performances ever. And when you compare it to a lot of the other shows, like I mean, I was I was going through the rankings trying to make this list, and uh, some of them are really over the top, ridiculous shows. Like there were ones where they did stuff with Indiana Jones, and like they were promoting like a Disney ride, uh, and and like when it went from like that to Michael Jackson, and then it went back to that a little bit. It's kind of crazy that that kind of like was like a diamond in the rough in a way. Number three, Paul McCartney. Really appreciate the work that Paul McCartney did as part of the Beatles. Also, a lot of his work that he did with Wings. That halftime show was right after Nipplegate. They picked, okay, who's the person least likely to take off their clothes? Paul McCartney, great. Put him, put him up. I thought he did a good job. He, he could have moved around a little bit more. But he performed some really great songs. Get Back, Hey Jude, Live and Let Die. Very classic musician. So that was why it's my number three. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm surprised to see him twice in the list, because I, I had him just kind of creep into my list at number five, but, uh, I mean, I gotta agree, I mean, he's on my list too for a lot of the same reasons. Paul McCartney, I thought the performance was good, you know, I obviously joke about the step count, and it is something that I did see from younger eyes. After hearing that performance, I was a big Hey Jude fan. I mean, I'm just glad that, uh, you know, Kanye, like, kind of, like, launched him. Now I'm four, five seconds from Thank God for Kanye, or we wouldn't have heard of Paul McCartney. So my number two pick is U2. I think it's a Super Bowl halftime show that we'll all remember. And just the way that they did the the background and listing all the names was really well done. I don't think it was done over the top. I don't think they were trying to play up an event just to make it sound emotional, but it, they did a really good job of, I think, finding that balance. A great performance. It's my number one. Uh, you know, I love you too, and uh, Bono hit it at the park. Overall, the performance was very classy. Number one, and I'm surprised I haven't heard this out of people, although we've mentioned the name before, Beyonce, 2012, the first Beyonce Super Bowl concert. She's just a really great artist. She has a great voice. You know, she's really very talented. And from a visual standpoint, it was a very visually attractive concert. It also involved the reunion of Destiny's Child. And Beyonce's got a couple of hits of her own. She does? Yes, she does. It was one of the few halftime shows where I'm like, okay, I'll stick around for this. When I think of Beyonce, it's almost like she's kind of like a, a musical version of like somebody like Tim Duncan in basketball. And let me explain. She's like somebody who, like you look back the last like 20 something years almost, maybe like 15, 16, 17 years, and like, they're just always kind of there. They're always like kind of like amongst like the top, you know, 10 or 20 and what they do. 
maybe Beyonce's case, like maybe like top five in terms of like how popular she, she is at certain points. But they, they're kind of just there. And then you look back at their whole career and you're like, wow, they're like legendary. Because like they're kind of just building this resume where they're always kind of like amongst the top, whether or not they're like the best. Like they've always been like a cut above the rest. And they just managed to have such a longevity where it's like they're like kind of just there like quietly. Beyonce, I feel like it's like that. She's kind of like just there. And then you look back and she's like, she's building like a legendary career. And she's, like, still there and relevant. And look what was around, like, 1998, like, when she was, like, in Destiny's Child. Like, you know, Christina Aguilera, Pink, some of them are still around, but a lot of them are just long gone. And she's still there doing her thing. And, you know, I think she really is a great performer, even though I like a few of her songs. I like, like, Halo. I like, like, some other songs. But I totally see why, the, uh, you know, she's as big as she is. She's now setting the trend for everything. So, if anything, she's Michael Jordan and the Bulls. Like, everyone else is now saying, like, okay, how do we beat Jordan? How do we beat Beyonce? I don't think she's underrated like Tim Duncan. If anything, people give her her props. I could see both analogies. I obviously see Tony's analogy and, and you know, Beyonce has obviously, uh, you know, done her part to influence music. But I can also see Maddie G's analogy from the sense that just like SportsCenter doesn't mention the Spurs, they, they were caught up in the Lakers or whatever big headlines, Christina and Britney were releasing the big headlines and Beyonce was just releasing hits. Whereas, like, when Tim Duncan was performing, you, you talked about, like, the Lakers and the drama going on there. You talked about Kobe. You talked about LeBron because they were bringing the headlines in. And the Spurs and, you know, Tim Duncan were just winning games. Not to say that it was necessarily in the background, but because they were so consistent, just like Beyonce is so consistent, they were necessarily getting the, the front page of the newspaper, or they weren't the lead story on SportsCenter. That's kind of the point I was trying to get at, where like it's almost like she's always just there, like the Spurs are always just good, where it's almost like you kind of just like expect it and don't really think about how, how like good it's been for how long. You know what I'm saying? Like It's almost like the Spurs have been good for like, almost 20 years now it's ridiculous and like Beyonce's been around and relevant for like almost 20 years and you're just like when you really look at it you're like wow like she it doesn't feel that like that but she's like been like just kind of there for like so long you know I felt that the halftime show had missed opportunities I felt like there was a missed opportunity of having Jay-Z on stage and when you talk about Beyonce with Jay-Z and the Destiny's Child reunion, now all of a sudden you're talking about one of the biggest headlining halftime shows ever. And then number two, Destiny's Child comes on stage, they don't even perform their biggest song, No Survivor. Beyonce makes it known that it's her show. So even when Kelly and Michelle come on stage, the Destiny's Child section only lasts about a minute. And then those girls literally run to the side. Like, Beyonce's like, she's having this pre-show meeting where she's like, okay, ladies, we're going to do this the songs. Once we're done, I need you out of my way because I'm doing my thing. And then Beyonce goes to perform, I think it's uh, All the Single Ladies, and she literally tells Kelly and Michelle to sing. Kelly, Michelle, will you help me sing this one? Kelly, sing me something. Michelle, help me out. Kelly, Michelle, sing my song. Sing Michelle, all the single ladies, all the, it, it was, she, she, she's very bossy. At least she, she, she was bossing them around. She wasn't telling me what to do. Can we say that Beyonce is like the corn to Kelly and Michelle's Limp Biscuit?
I guess you could say that. Okay. It's almost like, you know, all the Destiny Styles girls. Like, one's Puddle of Mud, one's Stain, and one's, uh, you know. Yeah, we're, we're just going to bust out all those late 90s and early 2000s bands. Maddie, she let's tally it up. Yeah, well, let's get our tally going. Y'all ready for this? One, two, three, let's go. Here we go. Well, we have one tie that we got to deal with. Number four and five is Bruce Springsteen and Paul McCartney. So we got to figure out the order between the two of them. I mean, I'll debate in favor of Bruce Springsteen. Bruce was really the first artist to take us out of that wave of older generation artists, which... Bruce is old, though. Yes, but he moved. He took more than five steps. I'll give you that he moved, and he was very commanding. Paul McCartney is the old generation. Meanwhile, yeah, Bruce, who represents the new age... No, he was old, but he was just telling us young people what to do. Put down the fork! <laughs> you need to put down that unrighteous fork. We're gonna bring the righteous! <laughs> One way you can look at it is that I'm the only person with both of those people uh, on my list, and I had Bruce Springsteen ranked fourth, and uh, Paul McCartney was fifth. So if you do it that way, because everyone else, it's kind of split down the middle. Uh, yeah, so I guess I'll go with Bruce Springsteen being number four, just because I, I think it was, he brought the energy and, like, you know, that, that hyping up in the beginning, the sliding and, uh, you know, teabagging the entire world. I think it was really exciting. Again, he was very bossy. Very, he, he explains why he's the boss. <laughs> and Paul McCartney seemed like he was, he wanted people to stop clapping. <laughs> when, you, when you settle down, I'm trying to perform some songs here, and you're being quite rude. <laughs> I can't hear myself. I can't hear me, Dan. It's, get, it's getting on in the night, you know. Just let me sing me songs. <laughs> and Bruce is like, I need you to scream when I sing my songs. Turn the television all the way up. I'm turning the television all the way up. Well, what about the? Fo- I said all the way up. <laughs> I'm turning the television. I mean, you can turn it up a little bit if you want. Like, not too loud. You want to be able to hear the people at the party. So, number five with nine total points in our system. Paul McCartney. Number four is via tiebreaker Bruce Springsteen in his performance in 2009. Number three with with 11 points is Michael Jackson's performance in 1993. Number two with... 14 points is Aerosmith featuring Instinct, featuring Britney Spears, featuring Nelly and Mary J. Blige, 2001. And then lastly, number one, appearing on all three lists, is U2's performance in 2002. And that's our top five. That's our righteous top five. We're gonna bring the righteous! (laughs) (laughs) We're gonna spend all night doing this. We'll get to bed at like 2 (laughs) a.m. A righteous 2 a.m. We're gonna bring the righteous! Okay, let's go through the top five. Manny G, you obviously announced them, and we'll do what we always do. Uh, we'll do the top five, and we'll say each say a brief statement about each song, and then we'll close it down. Number five. From 2005, we have Paul McCartney's performance. He definitely performed younger than the Rolling Stones did. He didn't look like Skeletor. As a kid, I didn't appreciate it because, again, he he didn't hit his Fitbit count. But Paul McCartney is a legend, and Hey Jude rocked. It's a great performance. Just like Seth, I was a little late to the Beatles party and specifically the Paul McCartney bandwagon. The Super Bowl performance was 
really good. Um, he could have used some more steps, but you know, he's assuming that you're going to do your steps, that you're going to be righteous enough to dance in your own homes. It didn't have a lot of bells and whistles. It just had a legend playing the piano, playing the guitar. One of the more important members, if you can say that, about one of the most important musical artists of of history. Number four, breaking a tiebreaker with Sir Paul McCartney is Bruce Springsteen from 2009. This righteous performance. We're gonna bring the righteous. It made us all put down the guacamole, put down the salsa, and get down with the E Street Band. Outside of that, I can't, I can't name another song that he did. But no other performance got me hyped up from the first 30 seconds like that. But no one had ever told me, no, you need to do this, and then that, and then you can listen to me. I never had to do chores. I want you to put the chicken fingers down and turn your television I, I think he would have done the world a favor if he was like, do some crunches, eat some vegetables, you know, but, you know, he, he still did enough to, to help the world out. So he made the, the sad world a happier place with his uh, with his tea bag. I think, I think Bruce Springsteen actually probably would have gotten Paul McCartney to move. Number three, the 1993 performance by Michael Jackson. Michael Jackson is one of the greatest performers uh, in the history of music. He will go down in history as having one of the best Super Bowl performances on top of that. He's the king of pop. He made the threshold for what a Super Bowl performance was supposed to be. I just freaking wish I would have had a, that minute of my life back. I thought it was a great show. I grew up listening to Michael Jackson as a child, so it was a nice part of my childhood being able to see him at the Super Bowl in full Michael Jackson gear. Number two, Aerosmith, featuring NSYNC, Nelly, Britney Spears, and Mary J. Blige, 2001. I think that this will be the all-time of Super Bowl halftime shows when you take a look at that list. And again, think back to 2001. Aerosmith, huge. NSYNC, huge. Britney Spears, huge. Nelly just on the precipice of being huge. And Mary J. Blige was having a big year as well. That defines a big Super Bowl halftime show. And I don't think any Super Bowl halftime show will ever be able to touch it. Well, if you have ADHD... This Super Bowl performance was for you? Yeah, it actually was my number one, so I totally agree with that pick. Number... <laughs> that was my number one, I totally agree with it. <laughs> number one, you 2 in 2002. To me, you know, you 2 is what Michael Jackson is to Tony or, or you know, what Michael Jackson or Paul McCartney is to Matty G. U2 is a great band. Bono is such a commanding voice. U2 was coming off their own huge year, which sometimes people forget. Obviously, the perfect timing for them to do a halftime show while they were still in their prime. Background of it, the September 11th and the message just raises it up to the next level. And I'm proud to have this as our number one. Well, it was a great performance. And I think we'll all remember that halftime show. But I think it was also a performance that the country needed at the time. 
Uh, yeah, I, I agree with the pick. I, I had it all in my top three, and I think everyone did actually have it in the top three. So uh, it's self-explanatory that we all thought it was really important, and uh, I totally justify it being number one overall. All right, well, that's our top five. I like it. Thank you all for listening to this episode of the High Five Countdown Podcast, Top 5 Super Bowl Halftime Shows. If you are looking for more episodes of the High Five Countdown Podcast, we are on iTunes. So go on to iTunes, search High Five Countdown Podcast, and you'll find us. If you like what you hear in those podcasts, please leave us a rating. Hope you were thoroughly entertained. Let's close it out. I'm DJ Setho, and I'm going to reach out to both Left Shark and Fred Durst and see which one I can get first to jump on the High Five Countdown podcast. Yeah! Well, I mean, if we're going to start inviting guests, I say we try to get um, Mr. Righteous Bruce Springsteen on the show. You know, maybe he could enlighten us with... His righteousness. We're gonna bring the righteous! I'm Matty G, and I'm going to find my uh, my chicken fingers that I dropped six years ago. I want you to put the chicken fingers down! Down the chicken fingers! Put down the guacamole! <laughs> <laughs> Who says that? <laughs> Who eats guacamole at a Super Bowl party? That seems pretty ambitious. And we'll leave you with Tony's impressions of Bruce Springsteen and Paul McCartney. All right, well, you know, we'll just call it all. You know, we don't need to be bouncing around all day. You know, that's a, that's a lot of work just to be running around and screaming. I'm, i got to play me song, and the guitar weighs a lot. So I'd like to conserve my energy a little bit. Paul, you can conserve your energy, but I'm going to be righteous tonight. <laughs> I want you to step back from the guacamole dip. I want you to put the chicken fingers down and turn your television 